Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. All right. I am so excited for my next guest, Dr. Erin Wiseman. She's a badass. And you know what? I can't even remember when we first crossed paths. It feels like forever. I feel like we're sort of you know, sisters from a different mister. We're both Midwest moms. We both suffered burnout. We both have had really cool, creative, innovative ways to make our second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chapters of our life different. And I love how you are just as divergent in your thought patterns. You're kind of exploring, coaching, you're a back in the health space, you're a podcaster, you're a mom. So Tell me a little bit more about yourself, Dr. Aaron. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> you like hit it all right there. Also, fellow Dia woman. I think yes. that's important to point out is our different mm. initials behind our name. Yes. But yeah, I mean, you you have. I've been in the burnout space for quite a while, actually, and it's been fun to see how, you know, the shifts and change kind of come around, but I'm the queen of sass and burnout, mother of dragons, um, family medicine, you know, Farmer, just figuring right? it out. Yep. Farmer's wife, um, figuring out one step at a time. And so even though on the podcast, it may seem like I have my shit all together, like it's just in this moment because there's probably a dumpster fire outside right now that I need Amen. to put out. Amen. And these skills are so translatable because the world's kind of a dumpster fire. So look at all the tools that we learn from being burned out. You can apply it right away. <laughs> No, I do love your work, the burnout to badass, um, all the things you do, the physician coaching Alliance, you know, we, in our journey through burnout, it feels very similar, but it is unique to every person. You know, there's many different drivers for burnout. That's why there's not one solution, you know, and as you're coaching other physicians and as you moved through your own burnout, what was your catalytic moment where you had some immensely impacted moment that is just kind of that beacon of light that you knew something had to change? God, I had so many of them. That's the problem. Like I always ask people, was it like a eureka moment or was it like a rock bottom? And I think it was all of the above. <laughs> right. So for me, like running through a couple of them, um, I can remember Sunday nights sitting on my bed with Paul Patrol in the background and two little boys, um, watching TV as I like silently sobbed on the bed, knowing that I was going into clinic the next morning and starting another work week all over again. Um, I think thinking about when I drove down the road, maybe hoping to get hit by a farm truck, but not like a big accident, like a C2 <laughs> fracture, but like just a little pelvic fracture, enough <laughs> of a reason to like not yes. be working. Yes. was another one that I kind of realized that was a super pathologic thought and probably burnt out. But um, it's really common because mm -hmm. when you're go, 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 and you're everybody's Wonder Woman and you pick up the slack and work is your drug, you can't stop. Right. So you're praying for things to stop you. 
Right. It's a little bit of nature and nurture. I think that it's so instilled in us to be gritty and resilient and studies have shown it doesn't matter how resilient you are. The top resilient doctors on their metric score still are 29% burned out. So it really isn't about more stoicism or tougher armor. It's a nature nurture that just makes it worse. And then we sort of nurture it in, in us. And so it's like a little bit of yes and everything, you know, what would you say if you could put a finger or many fingers, what would be a a big driver for you personally in your burnout process? I think it was the underlying belief that if I work hard, everything will work out. I can remember my dad telling me that growing up, like, if you work hard, things will work your way, Aaron, you know, that like good old Midwestern work mentality. And so I just worked harder and harder and harder. And I'm like, where's my fucking better? Like I'm waiting for it and I'm putting in all the effort. I can remember, and I still tell my patients this this day, like I may not be the smartest doctor, but no one will outwork me. Like I will work you under the table type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the thing I hung my hat on, but it was also my demise as well because I just worked myself into the ground. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a common thread for all of us. You know, we get that promise of it'll get better. I'm sure you and I had the same kind of thinking, you know, as medical students, it'll be better when you're in residency. And then as a resident, all the staff, the nurses, it'll be better when you're in attending because then they're all going to help you. And guess what? The rules of medicine change and the landscape shifts. And suddenly you're not allowed to give verbal orders. You're not allowed, like they start putting different rules in place. So when was it that you looked back and said, wait a second, it's not getting better. I can't work harder. What was the big kind of come to Jesus moment for you? It was, I was literally like two weeks into my practice out of residency. And I remember sitting at my desk. It was, I didn't have a lot of patients at that time because, you know, I was the new doc in the office and they were starting to, to fill my schedule. And I was like, holy shit, this doesn't feel different. If anything, this feels harder than when I was in residency. And I had a lot of resentment that I have had to work through over the last eight years from that moment, because this was 2014, um, that it was resentment at the system. It was resentment towards my program. It ultimately was resentment towards myself because I was like, how could you have made such a bad decision to do this to us? And part of that resentment is really realizing that it it wasn't just the long hours and the hard patients like we can do hard things but it was that that lifestyle and what i how i had been working for you know nearly a decade and a half so i had to really do a realignment check because the girl at 18 who decided to go into medicine was not the woman that i was at 35 and approaching 40 and i hadn't adjusted to that point, to those oh values. Oh my gosh. That is really profound, Aaron, because we aren't encouraged to do that, ironically. I feel like a lot of industries, and you probably would agree with this, there's a lot of support in development, professional development, leadership development. And it sounds very corporate speak, but there's some truth to it that it's helpful because as you move forward in your career, you might realize, hey, a lateral shift into a different occupation might serve me well. This happens often in other industries. But in medicine, 
we've got blinders on. Like you just keep going forward. There's no sideways movement. And I call it the railroad tracks. You yes. get put on the railroad tracks and it's like no deviation. Yes, that's it. You're there. And then even worse, they don't really give you options to look outside the train on the railroad track. It's like, nope, you have to keep looking forward. And that's step one of, of the catalyst roadmap that I help my mentees through is going back to imagining what does your, where is your landscape? What does, what kind of masterpiece are you looking to paint? And also checking back in on those core values because they shift. What, what tools do you have to paint your masterpiece with? It might be different. You know, at 18, you didn't have kids. You didn't have a family, you know, like things change and suddenly priorities shift. And if you could go back to yourself as a resident, even though you had already chosen a career in medicine, is there anything anybody could have done to help you avoid burnout as a resident? Yeah, it would have been help me explore and be curious rather than judgmental and like just doing the right, quote unquote, air quotes, right thing. Because now what I tell students and residents that I work with is like, you need to lean into your weird. And let me tell you the story of why. I have always been so interested in drugs, especially illicit drugs, and not using them myself personally, but like what they do to our neural anatomy, how they affect our psyche. Um, I remember even way back in high school um, that I did a presentation about it. And so whenever there was anything like a local DEA meeting or you know something that was being hosted about um, drug update by the local police force or something, you bet your ass I like signed up for it because I just found it so profound but like that's not what a good midwestern you know young white doctor does she doesn't work with that population type she doesn't do those type of things and it was really through this transformation of stepping away from medicine and looking at jobs that were PRN or part-time that I actually landed a position as a jail physician and I was like Oh my God, I love this. This is, this is amazing. This is what I want to be doing. Um, sadly that position ended because whenever you work in correctional medicine, so much of our job is ruled by local elections. So Mm -hmm. my company got cut because we costed more than another company. So, but it gave me that taste of like, Oh my God, my weird is in medicine. Like I could do this. And so. Yeah, moving forward through that, I was actually um, right out of residency. I had gotten my ex waiver to prescribe Suboxone and to do addiction treatment, but I never had used it because there was no facilities in our area. When I approached my organization at the time, they're like, absolutely not. Do not do that. We don't want those quote unquote type of people here. And, but I kept it up and I kept up with the research. And again, like I would go to DEA meetings. I would watch like my favorite like jail and drug shows on Netflix, you know, like Dope Sick. And like, I've, I've seen them all, by the way, Babies Behind Bars. There's some amazing ones, people out there. But anyway, I knew like, this is something I'm really passionate about, but I don't know how I'm to bring it to my local community. But I knew that there was a possibility. And so like keeping that curiosity and that openness is where I then started to see my impact in family medicine moving more towards public health. Um, And I am so happy to tell you, I'm on my way to board certification in addiction medicine. Love it. clinic now, yeah, is part family medicine and a whole big part working with people with substance use disorder. We're becoming one of the biggest 
um, places in Southern Indiana taking care of these type of folks. And I wish I would have leaned into my weird 10, 12 years ago. Oh, I was a resident. That's the best quote, lean into your weird. You are exactly describing the sad part of cookie cutter medicine. I think when we try to standardize medicine, we do it and truncate our, our, our passions because we're trying to churn out the same kind of family practice doctor or internal medicine doctor or pediatrician. And you leaning into your weird is exactly what we talk about with getting into flow. When you're into something and you're really passionate and curious, it is the best way to stack anti-burnout you know, methods as Christine Maslach would say is like when you have a purpose, when you have meaning in your job and you feel like you can achieve mastery at it, you've got all those things stacked in your favor. It's like an energizer bunny. You're going to go to work and be excited because you're always curious about the type of work you're doing. So you've described the perfect way to retool your career and just let it be something that you want to wake up and do every day. Oh my God. I have second year medical student love. I get up every morning. I'm excited. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's challenging. Oh, sure. But it's the type of challenge that I love. One, because I can drop F-bombs all day with my patients and they love it. And we can be real and honest and raw and talk about really hard things. And so I bring my coaching into my practice when I'm talking with my folks with substance use disorder because they need a lot of the same coping skills as my doctors because my doctors have work addiction. And yes. so it is It's a dissociative, absolutely. And I feel like that is the, the common thread that pulls all of us in that same tapestry of no matter what addiction, and even that word is, is not one I even like, but just the way that we're trying to numb and dissociate from the pain that is living. It's painful to be alive. It's painful to have emotions. And the sooner we learn to process and move through them and really look at ourselves with grace and hold compassion at the human existence and find what lights us up, then you're unstoppable. And I love that you found your, you stacked your, your whole purposes together to create this amazing new chapter of your life. This is so exciting. I feel like I could be doing this for the next 30 years of my life. And that's awesome. I was telling that story back in 2014, like that was the quote when I went and talked to my medical director about how unhappy I was at that time that he said, Dr. Wiseman, we really would like to keep you for the next 30 years of your career right here in XY organization. And I wanted to barf on my shoes, but now I can say, honestly, I want to spend the next 30 years of my life doing what I'm doing now. And I just want to put that out for anybody who's like, what the fuck, Wiseman? Like, good for you, but not for me. That, no, it is possible. It really is. And that you have to pick your hard. I mean, you can either stay in the hard of the suck right now. Oh, yes. Eat which shit sandwich do you want to eat? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or you can step out into uncertainty and say, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't even know how I'm going to do it. But I know that I've done hard things. I know that I persevered before. I know that I'm not going to let my kids eat cat food, which we didn't during this time, but (laughs) I'm going to do it differently. And, you know, it took me from 2017 to this past August of 2021 to, to develop myself enough to make those connections, to get clarity. And also it was a time thing. Like this organization wasn't ready to add a family medicine doc and an FQHC in my area at that time, but they were when I was ready. Right. And you, you've touched on this, that we have to get out of our own way. I think a lot of us, 
would much rather, especially speaking as a recovering type A perfectionist that a lot of doctors are, um, feeling like we have to have all the answers um, and have to figure this out. Sometimes we just need to get out of our own way and understand that it's okay if you don't have the answers, if you aren't sure where your future is. But if you just listen to what inspires you to learn more, eventually you'll find your path. And the fact that you did this and you were able to say, you know what, it's it's not it's not for me right now. Um, and then you found the the path. And I had similar conversations with my administrators of, I found something I loved, which is holistic functional medicine, but they weren't ready for it. So you make your own way. Um, and that's sometimes the world's just not ready for us. Yeah, they weren't. And you know, I was the doctor who had the burnout story. And now I feel like I've come into a, um, a new chapter that I'm calling that coming back better. Like Mm -hmm. there's always that fear if I step away from medicine, am I going to be able to? And I'm kind of proving that wrong now. The other day, it was when I first started in this new practice, I hadn't done like a sebaceous cyst removal in probably like four years. You know what I mean? Fun, yes. But I kicked that cyst's ass. I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Like I did it. And to me, that's just like, see, like we have all these fears that we're going to lose our skills or, you know, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, do I still look up doses in my drug book or on my phone? Absolutely. Do I have to, like, remind myself what I do for a workup for gross proteinuria? Absolutely. I did that yesterday. (laughs) And that's okay. And I still would have even if I had practiced continuously through that time. And so part of it that I think going off of your theme is, like, giving yourself the permission to try and to fail, Because that's the last thing we all want to do is fall on our face. Ah, And believe me, it hurts. It does. It's that mantra of like, fall down seven, get up eight. Like, yes, yes. You have to. Permission is exactly the right word of of the week is giving yourself permission. You know, uh, they've done studies when medical students are, are, given permission just to play in art and make something silly, those skills are translated into like a workforce. It, it just helps them feel not so pressured and so hard on themselves if they do make a mistake, you know, and this is, this is really such pressure we're under as physicians that it can be crippling. Oh, a hundred percent. Like crippling anxiety was, I suffered from that. And then that impacted my decision-making skills that then impacted my patient care that then impacted my anxiety even more. It's a vicious cycle. It is so vicious. I think it really is. And it's coming, it's having a culture built around you of quality improvement and safety that's not punitive, that can be open and conversational mm-hmm. and acknowledging our humanity and saying, okay, you did the best you could with what you had at that time. And next time, let's try it like this. Yes. I love that. I think you and I are very similar in that thought process. You know, when I attended that burnout conference, I was telling you about earlier, uh, Dr. Lorna uh, Byrne, is it Byrne or Bean? She's the ER physician that died by suicide early on in COVID and her brother-in-law is championing a foundation. And it's really amazing the work they're doing. They've gotten Congress to pass more protection and laws that protect physicians that come out and and ask for help. Because as you know, it's not a very welcome area. If you say that you're struggling, you could lose your license, which is horribly tragic, right? And sadly, many physicians have lost their lives. And I feel like the world is opening up and changing for the better because we can't afford to lose more physicians to this silent 
taboo feeling that they're alone. Mental health is crumbling and having physicians get this support they need. And also the acknowledgement that, you know what, if you don't do that exact career, your skills can be used elsewhere. You know, you could mm-hmm. go and do other things. Uh, that's so empowering to people that might be listening, feeling like this is the only choice they have. What are some examples that you give some of your clients when they're struggling with, should I stay? Should I go? What other things can I do as a doctor? The first thing that I like mandate them to do is take a break. So I am a huge advocate right now of sabbatical healing. And I don't feel like that you, when you are drowning in the swimming pool, it's not the time to learn swim lessons. And so that's the big thing. I've been pushing a lot of people. If it's seven days, fine. If it's 10 days, fine. The longer, the better. And I help walk them through that process us to figure out like what's the longest length of time that you can take and honestly most of the time it's a lot longer than what they initially estimate at but yes. taking the break and taking the time away because what that does is it gets your head out of the sand and you start to realize that this is a big beautiful world it's much bigger than what you see on a day-to-day basis and then also what i help people to work through during that rest time is You're not just taking a break from work. You are also going to take a break from the work that you're imposing on yourselves, especially in the home front and with women and the invisible workload of women. And so you don't just take a break from work. So now you're going to read your landscaping and clean out all the closets and reorganize the kids' playroom. No, that's work too, friend. And so part of the assignment with taking a sabbatical is I help them learn to be bored. And learn yes. that with themselves. It's the dopamine fast. You have to. That's when all the the magic happens. Is when you can't, uh, you know, exercise out your trauma by being overproductive, like a lot of us moms are. Well, like you said, I, it's almost like you were in my house. You know, when you get stressed, you start cleaning and and having this. I don't know if you're familiar with vipassana meditation, which is literally going off the grid and going somewhere for ten days. You know, and just not having a phone mm-hmm. or anything. And that's the the biggest healing thing that can happen. Yeah. So that's the, that's, I think one of the most powerful things you can do when you're sitting with that question of, do I stay or do I go is, is really going away. I mean, there's a reason why in faith-based communities, they advocate for, you know, that trek into the wilderness and that sabbatical time. Um, it's one reason I hike and backpack. It helps me. I don't have to go that far to find wilderness, but yet it feels very far when I'm gone for yes, a couple of days. I love that. The, the women of the wild. I love Yeah, my retreat. women of the wild retreat. Yes. Yeah. And there, it's so important. You're right. Cause it is a mindset. You don't have to go. And that's the other thing is people think, dipping into creative flow or healing or or giving yourself this rest it doesn't have to be extravagant remote you know it doesn't have to be island. eat pray love no, no it does not have to be eat pray love you don't need a cabin in the woods or you don't have to go hike the appalachian trail you can literally go in a backyard or in a closet in your room just something where you have mental space that is your own and and just be real with yourself and and be fasting from dopamine, you know, triggers that call for your attention. That's the true time that you can recover and allow your brain to kind of free up and have that magical creative thought come to you. Okay. Be honest. Is there in your experience, has there been any physicians that you've coached that have said, I can't do that, Erin. I don't know how I can make time for myself. Oh, fuck. All of them are pretty much. (laughs) Yes. So what do you tell them? Well, it depends on my day, what kind of sass I bring to them. But most of the time, it's something along the lines. So you're paying me to tell you my advice, and now you're not taking it. 
So they're assholes just, is what you're saying. It's no. just like it's just like when we have our diabetics come in and they say, my legs hurt and I want to feel better. And I'm like, your A1C is 11, friend. Like, of course, your neuropathy is going to be bad right now. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just like tough love, still love. Give them some tough love and and start with small bite-sized amounts. Because, you know, how do you eat an elephant one mouthful at a time? And yes. so, okay, you can't take a month, three-day weekend. What, yep. what day of the week are you going to cancel clinic or your cases this week and yes. call in? And that is so anxiety provoking for people. Like what? Yes. You'd be surprised. I have to tell people no. And it's like, yes, you have to tell, even though it was a yes, it's now a no. And so starting them off with really small steps and realizing that the earth will still go around. The sun will still rise. You will still have a job. You can do this. You have permission. And so that's where it is with those folks. And then the money thing comes up a lot, especially Mm -hmm. when I'm working with single moms. Um, You know, they're, they are worried about that. So I do an exercise is called quarters in the couch and where it comes from was literally when I was on my journey, I went around the house and looked in all the places where, you know, coins fall. I was in the like car. I ended up finding like a couple hundred dollars. And so I use that same example to find more money for people. And I remind people like, what's a savings account for? Well, it's when you're in need. Is this a time in need? And so like utilizing those things, you have been a good steward of your money and put it away for a rainy day. I think this qualifies for a rainy day. I love this. I love this. That's a whole other topic is, is women and finances. That's a whole other topic that I would love to dive into another time because it's true. We we're such caregivers, nurturers, and we save. And, and like you said, a good steward of your money, but you know what, when you're in crisis or need to have a break, like it seems like the perfect time to help yourself and say, let's pause and see what's going on for the next 30 or 50 years. Do I want to keep doing the same thing? So unless somebody's in like really bad financial straits, I would say a majority of the folks that I've worked with, they'll say, I think I could take a month, maybe six weeks. When we do that exercises, I've had people, I would say on average, they say, oh my God, I wouldn't have to work another day again for six months. But I've had the average is actually between nine and 12 months. Like if you were to liquidate savings accounts, you know, no, nobody wants to liquidate like retirement funds. But if it's between you considering killing yourself because you're suicidal Mm -hmm. and a fucking job, you will liquidate what you need to liquidate. And so I actually have one gal, she's on a little bit over a year right now and she's good. She's absolutely good. And so I think having those examples to show it's possible, I'm getting ready to launch some episodes of single physician moms who did take one took two years off and one took 15 months off to show like what reality is because those naysayers of like, oh, I can't do that. It's not, you can't do that. You won't allow yourself to even go there. Correct. And I love how you said also just the saying, no, the act of saying no, of pushing back from the table of saying, I'm going to take this day off or no, I'm not going to do this thing is so petrifying because we're so conditioned to serve everybody, say yes, figure it out later, make it work. But the more you say no and honor yourself, the easier it becomes. And then you see the gifts on the other side that you have clarity and you actually can advocate and feel empowered. And guess what? Burnout is in the rear view mirror because you're making steps towards something that you never thought could have been possible. 
the fear is is real. I think it is fearful for all of us that have mounting medical school debt saying, what? Mm-hmm. There's no way, but there's always a way. And you're, you're showing women and well, and men and everybody that it is really possible to rethink the career we signed up for, you know, because yeah, we have to remember some, my, one of my favorite Aaron Sass is whatever you're saying yes to, you're saying no to something else. Mm-hmm. And are you okay with that balance? Because you can't say yes to everything. And so one exercise, another one I like to give people is to look at their calendar. And first, before you do that, what's the most important things in your life? Make a list. I love this. Love it. And then look at your calendar. Yes. And for a majority of people- Do they match? Mm -hmm. They don't Mm -mm. at all. They're horrible. Right. Absolutely. That is absolutely the best. I call it like your receipt. It's your priority receipt. Like look at your calendar. That is a direct receipt of your priorities. And you can't argue otherwise. If you're saying, you know, oh, I'm, you know, so- whatever, I, I feel tired, I'm stressed, but then you're you're volunteering or you're saying yes to all these things that don't even have anything to do with what lights you up inside, then start shaving some of those things away. And you know, we have to acknowledge that it it hurts. It does hurt to go back on a commitment. And I think so many people, their word is their bond, but what you have to realize is the person you were who said yes in that moment is not the person you are now. Yes. And like the person who you're saying no to their response is their response. They are a grown-ass individual, and they get to hold their emotions just like you have to hold your own. Yes, the boundaries are huge. You know, having boundaries in a very empowered way it goes a long way. It's not that you know you're saying no, never, but you have changed your mind and you now are honoring yourself in a different way. And like you said, this is important because work can become our drug and we do need that rest to to detox, so to say. And and picking how how much, you know, how hard our next few steps are. It's always going to be hard no matter which direction you go, but where do you want to go? Which which shit sandwich would you rather eat? You know, um, and I think that you're empowering people to realize they're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not broken. Like if you're mm-hmm. finding yourself in this situation, because I remember thinking, oh my god, what is wrong with me? Um, you're not. You're not alone. You're not broken. Change is absolutely possible. Is it right in front of you today? But friend, you didn't get burned out in four weeks. You're not going to turn this around in four weeks. I find most people that I work with me, um, it's usually between an 18 and 36 month journey. It Mm -hmm. really is not something that you can say, oh yeah, you do these five steps and you are going to be smoking. Yep. Right as rain. You'll be fine. Yeah. Which is, which is a bad thing. I think that a lot of, you know, with the new ACGME requirements, uh, a lot of hospitals and administrators and organizations are saying, oh, okay, well, we need to be more aware of burnout and depression. So let's hire uh, like a coach and okay, everybody, you'll be fine. Now we can check that box off. But it's more than that. It's deeper than that. And we have to get real with ourselves because we come to school with a bunch of baggage that we have to unpack eventually. And the quicker we can unpack it and understand ourselves, I think the easier some of these transitions and decisions can be. Yeah. And it's making those safe spaces for people to be able to impact that. in. because let's be perfectly honest, it's it's not safe right now um, in a lot of places to come forward and say, I'm struggling I need a coach, um, even to take a break. Like I help people find creative ways to let their workplace know why they're taking a sabbatical. 
Yes. Oh, sabbatical. I love that word. That's part of my fantasy list in medicine is I wish we could be like professors in an academic situation where they're allowed a sabbatical, you know, and it's just sort of an expected and planned thing. I'm sure you had similar uh, responses to my maternity vacation. I got asked all the time, how was your vacation? That's not a vacation. Absolutely not. And you know, but I do have so many people who reach out to me when they're like anticipating maternity leave or, or like towards the end of it, because they have had a little bit of that glimpse of like what life can kind of look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and wouldn't it be nice if we could anticipate a sabbatical for every physician that this is something that we just plan for. We have a locum tenens doctor filled in, ready to go. You can take your break. That would be lovely. That's one of my fantasy lists. Uh, what do you have any other fantasy things on your wish list for? I want to normalize everybody working a point six. Yes, I want to normalize that. I I think that the whole full FTE is bullshit because it's not a full FTE. It is like working two two full time jobs, and then you add parenting yep. or you add taking care of your own parents or other responsibilities. Yes. I just. I, I think the antiquated um, oh, it's awful. work week is over with. And the FTE, you're right. The latest conference stat was for each hour. It used to be 86 minutes of pajama time every night for an average family doctor. That was in 2017. Now the current metrics are for every hour of clinical work, it's two hours in EHR that we spend. Absolutely. So it's ballooning. And I feel like we haven't adjusted the MGMA or the FTE equivalents for RVUs. And so I think it's about time to say, okay, let's hold up people and uh, let's all work a 0.6, you know? And I want to normalize that because like right now with my current position, I work 20 hours clinically and I have pi- five paid admin hours. And I think nice. it's appropriate Mm-hmm. Because there is all that extra work. There is phone calls to be made. There is research to be done when you're looking up proteinuria. <laughs> I bring that back up again because it's on my brain. <laughs> but it it is. And I no more free giveaway time. No more free meetings mm-hmm. that you don't get paid for. No more mm-hmm. charting. I don't I don't bring charts home. It's just it's a hard stop. And if the note doesn't get done, it doesn't get done. This is not a Dr. Wiseman problem. This is a system problem. Yes. Good. Good for you. What other things can you recommend in your fantasy world or steps that you've taken that are actionable to kind of hold your own? So I was going to say, these are actually in real life actionable stuff. So people can hold me to that. Um, The other thing is I won't do a visit less than 30 minutes unless it's a true like quickie follow-up, like an ear check or, you know, a stitches removal or something like that. Um, all visits are a minimum 30. And I just, I think you have to do that, um, for family medicine to have that time, especially with the population that I'm working with. They're typically Mm -hmm. 10, 15 minutes late. And I always remind my nurse appointment times are suggestions. And when you go about it that way, then you don't get pissed about people running late because then you're affecting me. And I just look at them like they're suggestions. And if they don't want to take our suggestions, like that's up to them. So I think that's a big one is just realigning those things that really piss you off and and leaning into that and really Mm -hmm. understanding why. Why am I upset about this? Why am I triggered by this type of patient? Well, maybe it's because of something in your past or something going Mm -hmm. on. 
And so I think every doctor needs to have a coach and every doctor needs to have a therapist. I yes. will stand oh, 100% good. behind yes. that. Oh my gosh. Amen. I mean, I had both as well going through and I still have a great therapist and I think it's great to have somebody that can be objective and call you out. You know, we all benefit from investing in mentors and coaches because they can see our world in a different way and help us grow and spot those blind spots in a, in a more clear fashion going, wait a second, it really isn't possible to enter an exam room without bringing part of your humanity with. And that's yeah. not a bad thing, but it's good no. to be aware of and know, okay, you know, why am I reacting negatively to this? And how can I make this a more collaborative, collaborative space? And you finding unique ways to make medicine work for you is just as valid as anybody else doing it differently on their own terms. Yeah. So working, um, quote unquote, part-time, which I still think is full-time, um, setting up those mantras for yourself when you're getting pissed off. I think it's also really important to have boundaries with charting because the work is never done. So what is good enough? And reminding, what is a chart really for? It's typically for billing and secondary mm-hmm. to remind us what we did or what our plan is moving forward. And so with that, minimums are okay. It's a, absolutely, you do not need to write yes. the great American novel. So I think it's important to have that. And the last thing I would tell people is developing your life outside of the office. I can't tell you how many people I work with who don't have hobbies. Mm -hmm. And I was one of those people. I had Mm -hmm. zero hobbies. I didn't know what to do for fun. And so that's actually as like me is figuring it out. And people come back and tried baking. It didn't work. And now I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, okay, you tried baking. So now try something else. (laughs) Yes, you are absolutely right. First of all, uh, 4.6 times longer. That is how much longer a U.S. physician's chart note is into other compared to other physicians across the world. 4.6 times longer. So you're right there. Um, We we talk too much. We write too much, and it's mostly because of regulations and litigious issues. But you can do bullet points and be shorter. And I love your idea on the hobby because that is. That is the sixth vital sign that I tell people what lights you up, what makes you passionate. And if your brain goes blank, then ask yourself, what did you like to do as a kid? You know, did you play house? Did maybe you're into interior design? Did you like to jump rope? Did you, you know, what did you do? Intramural sports? And you want to know just, mine? What is one it? of mine? Fantasy fiction. Ah, uh, yes, because you're writing a book. Writing a book. And also I like that's what I consume. I love going into those worlds and and just having so, so much like it's beautiful new. And so actually, and you can't see it podcast listeners, but I've taken up poor acrylic painting. I'm terrible at it, but I love doing it. Yeah. And so I think it is about like having these things that you're absolutely terrible about. You have no expertise in Amen. you go to Hobby Lobby and you buy the shit and you try it. Yep. You dare to suck. That's why I tell everybody dare to suck at something when you're trying something new, especially if you're in the medical space. And at least where I'm mentoring is these independent holistic practitioners that are now entrepreneurs and they're in new territory, having to write or film video or experiment a little bit and, and using skills that are different, dare to suck. It's fun. It's also fun to find new hobbies. And, and your acrylic pour is the perfect example. Like there's no control when it comes to that, you know? No, there's no, con- and like I, and the cool thing is, is if it doesn't turn out good, you just pour over it next time. Yes. I, I was like buying new canvases and I'm like, why am I doing that? I'm wasting money. Oh, spoiler alert. You should go to thrift stores. That's where I get my canvases. I go to thrift stores and find old paintings and stuff that people threw away and I buy them for like 50 cents and I just paint over it. So there you go. 
pieces of wood, all sorts of stuff at thrift stores. Easy. I'm thinking mirrors too is where yes. start going back. Those again. are fun. Yes. Well, I've got people getting off the bus that you can't see them right now, but their team Wiseman is saying hi. Aww. Laura, it's been so great to hang with you today. Yes. And thank you for your time. And if you people know. want to get a hold of you, I know that they can find you, Dr. Aaron Wiseman. Why don't you give us a little quick one sentence recap of where people can connect? Find me on Instagram at Aaron Wiseman or Burnt Out to Badass. Awesome. Thank you for your time and thank you for catalyzing the innovation in medicine. It's been a pleasure. 